listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Listen, I wanted to say, especially to those of you who are uh, with us today digitally, whether on Facebook or YouTube, at the end of this sermon, we'll be having our typical segment of prayers of the people. And we'd like for you to be able to kind of express your needs to the community. Because there's just ever so slight a lag in time between when you're watching live and when you're in person live, if you would, just go ahead in the comment box, in the comments, either on Facebook or YouTube, kind of share with us uh, your prayer needs. If you know of someone who's in need of prayer, just kind of mention their name and we'll call their name. And then for everyone who is here uh, in person, uh, there'll be a time when we'll ask you too, just kind of just speak out and express, express whatever prayer need you might have. We're continuing our series today, Then Sings My Soul, and talking about the power of song and the way in which it moves us. This particular song, Hallelujah, was written by the Canadian poet and songwriter, Uh, Leonard Cohen. And as I said, it's gone through various iterations kind of again and again over the last several decades. Hallelujah is a Hebrew word. It means praise God. And it's one of those words that never really gets translated. Like I never see hallelujah translated as praise God. Everyone just says hallelujah. And it doesn't really matter what language you know. Like hallelujah has become a word that means praise God in all of these different languages, English included. You may have sometimes see it spelled alleluia, kind of without the H, but that's, that's, it's the same word. Uh, Nothing's really changed there. What happened was the Greek language doesn't have a letter H. It just has a backward apostrophe that sometimes goes over the first letter, and then people didn't know how to, how to write it. So like Armageddon, you've heard of that place, is in Hebrew, Harmageddon. It just they left off the H because they didn't they didn't have one in Greek and same with Hallelujah, so Hallelujah is just a Greek spelling that then is kind of mispronounced, <laughs> but we won't worry about that. The song, of course, kind of speaks to the depth of the human condition, and I think this is the reason why we love it. Right? Uh, I was speaking with someone before the service and was telling them about the song, and they said, "I love it because it's kind of haunting. It's you know its presence is with us, right?" We can all testify that life sometimes gets hard. And in the hardness of life, sometimes we experience brokenness. And since we all have that, we all know what that's like. Unfortunately, sometimes in Christian circles, we have no space for people who are broken. Like, we have space to talk about the goodness of God and the glory of God. And of course, that's an appropriate thing for Christians to talk about. We can be thankful for what God has done. But when we don't have space to talk about the hard times, and even more so, when we don't have space to talk about the times that we've been broken, we're not really addressing the fullness of life. So as all of you know, I grew up in the mountains, right? I'm an Appalachian American. I went to an Appalachian Pentecostal church. And we believed in testimony. Like, we believed in it so much, I imagine a lot of you might actually be uncomfortable with the level in which we believed in it. Like, we practiced it. 
on any given service, any given service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, any additional night, revival nights that we might have gotten together, anybody, almost at any given time, might stand up and say, I have a testimony. We did it so often that some nights when we got together, it was just testimony night. And it was the expectation that everyone present would be given an opportunity to testify. And they would start on the front row, and they'd just make their way across and come around. Now, not everyone had to say something, but everyone was given an opportunity to say something. And often when they did offer their testimonies, some of them got a little, a little repetitive, like we've heard these things before. I want to thank God that he saved me, that he sanctified me, that he filled me with the Holy Ghost, that he healed me, and that he's coming back to take me home, Right? But then the testimonies were often very personal. And they weren't just stories about the good things that were going on in their lives. They were also stories about the struggles that they had. They repetitively, uh, parents were praying for their, their children, especially their adult children who were no longer following the Lord. Or people were praying for deliverance from some kind of uh, bad kind of behavior. You know, we think about sin sometimes just as a matter of our own personal sin. And we think some kind of moral development and some kind of impulse control is really what Christianity is all about. Moral development and impulse control. But that's exactly what Dallas Willard calls in his book Divine Conspiracy, the gospel of sin management. That is not the good news. The good news might affect our moral development and our impulse control, but it is larger than that. It affects all of our lives. And so these people, I, I can remember all sorts of ones, you know, hey, you know, continue to pray for Bill. He's still smoking the cigarettes. I'm not exactly sure why we needed a the in front of cigarettes, but it is the testimony that I heard nevertheless, right? So they, they were stories of hard times. At some point along in my life, the word testimony stopped being used, though, in the church. Like, we stopped calling it a testimony, and we started calling it a praise report. Now, praise report sounds nice, but words matter. And when the word testimony got substituted for the word praise report, the invitation was subtle, but nevertheless real, not to tell the stories of hard times and bad times. A request for praise reports was what's good in your life. How has God blessed you? I got the job. I got the promotion. So-and-so stopped smoking the cigarettes, right? Not that they were still, still doing so. Or whatever, whatever the impulse control we thought we needed to, to put into, into, into control. And then that praise report language got shortened again. So that by the time I got into my young adulthood, we were just asking, does anyone have a praise? And I stopped hearing about how people struggled. I no longer heard the stories that um, I lost my job. Uh, there was a car accident. There was a horrible diagnosis at the doctor. I don't know where God is. Time in my life is dark. But one of the things that I really love about the scriptures is that they tell the full story of life. 
the full gambit of life. And in this song, Hallelujah, we hear a lot of this, right? We hear about David, and we hear about Samson, and, and we hear about some others as well. And certainly, when it comes to hard times, there are occasions where we make bad decisions, and our bad decisions have consequences, and sometimes those consequences are severe. And I want to talk about that because I think that's important. But other times in our lives, on no cause of our own, bad things happen. This isn't some simple equation. If I live for God, therefore, things are going to work out for me. It's, it's, it doesn't work that way. Life is hard. And sometimes life deals us a bad hand. And the question is not, well, why has God not done something? Why has God not prevented this? But where is God? Where is God in the midst of that darkness? Where is God in the midst of that struggle? So in the case of David, and also in the case of Samson, these two fellows had made some pretty bad decisions. Their moral development and their impulse control was relatively low, right? So the, the story of David, his character arc in Scripture starts pretty high, actually, right? He's the young boy who God has chosen, and he can kill bears, and he can kill lions, and even though he's small and young, he kills a giant. He delivers the nation. He's God's chosen one. Things are flying pretty high. But if you follow the story of David from, you know, First and Second Samuel, uh, it's generally where it's accounted for, or First Chronicles, when David makes the decision to have Uriah died and then to take his wife as his own, his life starts to come apart. And the story degenerates from that point forward. It doesn't, it doesn't turn out so well for him, and we know, we know exactly why. Samson has this very similar story, right? Samson is a judge, and Samson is strong and powerful, and, and on various occasions, God calls on Samson and gifts him with strength, and he delivers, you know, the tribes of Israel. But then Samson is kind of drawn into a relationship that kind of puts all that at risk. And in this song, it's so interesting, that one verse that talks about David and Samson, it doesn't call them by name. Well, I guess it calls David by name. There was a chord that pleased the Lord that David played, right? So it's talking about David. But then the very next line, it says, she tied me to a kitchen chair and she cut my hair, right? That bit. So it shifted from David to Samson. This is a very typical kind of Jewish way of telling stories. That anytime there are two stories that are anyway similar, even if there's just one similar word in the story, the rabbis would go, oh, well, why don't we compare these two stories? It's called Midrash. It's a, it's a form of Jewish interpretation. And this song kind of expresses a bit of that, right? So it kind of shifts from, from David to Samson. And you see how their moral decisions have caused problems in their lives. But what I want to say is, when we find ourselves in difficult situations, when we find out that life is hard and that sometimes it's so hard that it breaks us, 
I don't think it matters so much whether it's, it's, a, it's some kind of consequence of the decision we've made or whether it's kind of altogether outside of our control. Right? I mean, Job kind of tells us this story. You can do everything right, and your life can still fall apart. You can serve the Lord and still be hungry. You can serve the Lord and still get sick. You can be faithful and you can still struggle. If you want to talk about like the faithful one, the one who is most faithful of all time, his name was Jesus Christ. And do you know how his life ended? He died on a cross. Like you can serve God and things still get pretty dark for you. That was a euphemism. Dying on a, being crucified is not just things getting dark, right? It's, it's the kind of one of the worst types of death. So the question then comes, what, however we got here, and all of us, if you live long enough, will get here, right? You'll find yourself in a situation where you're like, how did I get here? <laughs> how, how did life get so hard? Sometimes it happens when we're young. Sometimes it doesn't happen until we're older. But it seems like we all get there in one way, in some shape or form, that we're, we're in a tight spot. Where is God? And I want to say that I think <clears throat> God is always in the darkest spot. If you want to know where God is in hard times, look to the cross. That is where God can be found. God comes not and kills. God comes and not conquers and destroys in any kind of traditional fashion. But God comes and loves. God comes and dies. And he dies for us, and he dies for others, and he dies for the whole world. And that is where we can find a hallelujah. Our hallelujahs sometimes might sound shallow. As the song says, sometimes it's like our hallelujahs are broken. (laughs) My hallelujah doesn't work. But I think I've been there. I've been there in my life in kind of tough times. I was 26 when my dad was killed in an automobile accident. That was a hard time. I was 40 when my mom uh, passed away of a stroke. And while it might seem a strange thing to say, I felt like an orphan. Well, you're 40 years old. You're a grown man. You shouldn't, you're not an orphan. But I did. I felt too young to be without parents. I felt like I wasn't ready to kind of carry that kind of responsibility for my family. I needed an ear of an elder. I needed the the wisdom and the heart and the, the, the support that parents offer. Other things, of course, happen too. You know, you get you get news that people get sick, and sometimes it's a sickness unto death. You see other people struggle. You have close friends or family members kind of go through divorce or somebody loses their job or someone just 
just gets abused. But my trust is that somehow God is not at a distance. One of the songs we will not be preaching on in this series or in any other series, if series like this come in the future, is Bette Mittler's uh, God is Watching Us. I mean, the only reason it gets a mention is for me to preach against it. God is not at a distance watching us. God is not far, far away. God is close. God is near. God is with you. God was with David even when David was doing bad things. God was with Samson even when Samson was making bad choices. And God is with us whether or not we're facing the consequences of actions and choices we've made or whether or not we're just suffering because sometimes life is hard. There's all sorts of examples we might point out throughout Scripture. Aaron, the priest of the Hebrews, this is even before they became Israel, had a bright idea that he would melt down all their golden rings into a golden calf. So it's always good to compare yourself to somebody in ministry that does a really bad job. (laughs) Like, I'm your pastor here at Oasis, and maybe I'm not the greatest pastor in the world, but I've never asked for your jewelry in order to make a golden calf. That was a bad choice. But does God leave Israel? Does God forsake Israel? Does God hate Israel? No. They're his children. He loves them. Despite the fact that he had delivered them from slavery and brought them out of Egypt, and they turned around and said, well, we don't have a God, you know, that's worthy of our worship, so we'll just make one. I think sometimes we're like that. I think sometimes if our God doesn't behave the way we think our God should, we kind of make a God out of something else. We'll make a God out of what we think can deliver us, whatever that might be. Our politics, right? Our finances, our friends. We try to find deliverance elsewhere. But that's, that's just a golden calf. There's nothing there that can deliver us. But as the psalmist says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. I love the psalms. I love the psalms because they're filled with times of praise. Hallelujah. And I love the psalms because they're also filled with times of lament. Dear God, where are you? And it's that It's that lament, it's that honest language of prayer and crying out to God, a real honesty with God that, again, the Psalms are filled with. The book of Job is filled with. I mean, you get those first two chapters, one and two, and then you get that, like, last chapter in 42. But all those other chapters, what is that, 39? 38. (laughs) Math's not my specialty. Those other 38 chapters is Job lamenting. Lament is a big word, perhaps. I didn't know it when I was a kid. But there was words that we did use for it back in that little church that I was talking about earlier. 
We talked about tarrying in prayer. That's also kind of an old mountain word, I think. It, it means waiting. And we would use biblical language like holding on to the horns of the altar. And I vividly remember folks in my past and myself at times laying prostrate on the floor, kind of spread eagle, face down, just weeping. Hearing people kind of groan, crying out to God. And the prayers weren't short, and they weren't sweet, and they weren't pleasant. They were laments. And the testimonies are a form of lament. And this song, Hallelujah, is a form of lament. It's like, oh, it's tough, it's hard. There was that one verse that we sang. There's like seven different verses this song now has. It's kind of grown as it's gotten repeated over the years. So we had to choose some as opposed to singing them all. I don't know that I've ever seen a recorded version of the song or two recorded versions of the song have exactly the same verses. It's been used so much. One of our verses does have some hope in it. It said, and in the end, I stand before the Lord of song and sing my hallelujah. I mean, I do love that. And I hope I'm not doing the song a disservice to talk about that even, even the psalms of lament also have their, um, their pairs, their things that they get coupled with. And it's not those happy-go-lucky, God is creator and all is good psalms, but it's this other type of psalm. It's like this post-lament psalm. And some of you might find yourselves there today. That you're not in the midst of the struggle. This isn't the point of brokenness in your life. But at this point, you look back and you think, wow, man, that was hard. Why did I have to live through that? And that post-lament psalm, and there's a bunch of those too, they reorient us. That the hallelujah becomes not so much a statement of reality, but a statement of hope. Not describing things as they are, but describing things as we expect them to be because we trust that God is with us. And if God is with us, then we'll make it through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, in the year 2020, perhaps I don't have to point out things to you where times are hard and tough. As we all sit here in the sanctuary with our mask on, and as uh, the other half of us uh, sit at home kind of watching digitally, perhaps because they or maybe someone in their family is at high risk, right? And so it's not just that they're sick that they're staying at home, it's that they need to stay at home to take extra precautions. I mean, they would be here too if they could be, right? These are hard times. And I, I don't know if, if it has immediately uh, or personally impacted you, but certainly you understand that the economy is struggling because of steps that we've taken to keep ourselves safe. So we have public health, right, 
and we have the kind of public economy. And how the COVID effect is affecting us psychologically, we still don't know. I don't think we know what it does to us when we kind of stay in long isolation. I don't think we know what it does to us when we experience these things. But the increased awareness of kind of social injustice, that it's not like that's a new thing for us. But we do become more aware of it. I think we became aware of it because of COVID. It was the isolation that already heightened our sensibilities so that now when we saw things like the death of George Floyd and others, of course, but in particular that one, it raised to our awareness things that we hadn't seen before. Maybe, maybe a lot of us had seen it, but a lot of us hadn't. And it's those sense of things is where I want to end with. You see, because sin those things that cause us trouble, is not just a matter of our moral responsibility, our moral development, and our impulse control. I'm saying that a lot today. Something more is going on. The, the evil that we're against is not reducible to just whether or not I make a right decision or not. The evil is, is all around us. It threatens us. You know, my, my, my academic specialty, specialty is in the book of Revelation. And it proposes an idea that in the last days, you'll have a choice to make. There will be some who suffer, and there will be some who are so blessed that they just assimilate into the world system. And I'm not quite so sure where we are. I don't suffer too much, thank God. But I do think I could easily be tempted to just assimilate into the world system. Go along to get along. Keep my mouth shut. Keep my head down. Wait it out. My 401k might get a little stronger. Maybe I'll get rid of that 2006 Volvo. Get a little newer something, another to drive around. And I'll be more concerned about my own self than I am about whether or not my neighbor has justice or whether or not my neighbor has food to eat. This is why I think it was back. Carol could correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm, I'm about to wrap up. I think it was our Lenten series, Serve and Be Served, that we started our call to worship each week during that time was a collective confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you as we should. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us so that we may delight in your ways and walk in your will to the glory of God. Amen. Let that, again, be our confession so that we might live a life, right, even in the hard times, that we might live a life especially in the hard times.
to have eyes of faith, to trust that God is near and that God is with us. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.